bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way Hello and welcome to episode 155 of the Corinne Nidja podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja. This podcast is about healing and hope and whole food, plant-based living and all other things that I love that are about healing and motivation and inspiration and just things that are uplifting and that light a little fire in my soul that I hope light a fire in your soul too. So this week on the show, we have the wonderful Jamie Qualls coming and sharing her story as a medical practitioner, her journey into whole food plant-based living, and then her work as a doctor over in the United States. You can find more about Jamie over at the show notes. Her practice is called Plum Health DPC. So you can find her at plumhealthdpc.com. She's in Detroit, Michigan. You can find her at Jamie underscore Plum Health DPC over on Facebook. And she's just just a wonderful human being. I was really, I really, really, really enjoyed this chat. So I hope that you do too. And so far as what's happening with me, I am still kind of recovering myself after the storm, which our house is still a bit of a, a wreck, a wreck. From the damage, so that's been what's been I've been focusing on, and I think I think I've worn my voice out from talking in the last week, just kind of for the work that I've been doing with my clients, and it's been so wonderful. So if you would like to learn more about the work that I am doing, please message me. I'm doing a lot of hypnosis now, and I'm doing a lot of hypnosis online via Zoom. So if you have issues with weight loss, anxiety, negative emotions, limiting beliefs, all those kinds of things. I'm really focused on helping people with hypnosis to overcome those issues at the moment. That's what I'm really loving doing. I'm having some great results with the clients that I'm working with. And one of the things I'm loving is working with women who have like low confidence, low self-worth issues. So that's been something that has kind of evolved out of my health coaching. And I'm really, really, really excited to find that hypnosis and, of course, the NLP coaching tools that I've recently received are really getting some incredible outcomes for the people who are coming to work with me now. So if you would like to learn more about that, send me a message and I would love to have a chat that the chats are for free. And I just get so excited by this work, honestly. It's just taken my health coaching to another level. So obviously, I'm still working with people who want to make the switch to a plant-based diet. It's just that now I have a whole heap of other tools in my toolkit to get really good results in a whole host of different areas in people's lives. So let me know if you'd like some help and I will organise to book a chat with you to have a talk. Other than that, please go and follow Jamie over on Facebook at Jamie underscore Plum Health DPC. Check out her website to book yourself in for an appointment if you're in the Michigan area at plumhealthdpc.com and enjoy this week's episode. 
Hello, Jamie, and welcome to the show. Hi, Corinne. Thank you so much for having me. It's my absolute pleasure. I have to, I won't be able to not mention that Alan, Alan Culmers introduced us because he likes to be mentioned. <laughs> Hi, Alan. <laughs> Hi, Alan. <laughs> yes. So I was very excited when he introduced us and then when I read all about you to have you on the show. So thank you so much for agreeing to come and chat to me during a pandemic. My pleasure. So how are things going for you over there? I feel like as things go along with the pandemic, it's not really possible not to really mention the pandemic in the room. Yes. (laughs) How are things going for you over there? Things have been interesting. I have gone from finishing residency training at the end of June on the 30th to uh, launching my own family medicine clinic on July 1st. Um, Finishing up my residency training by having to work on the COVID unit at our hospital where I was training at. Oh, my god! So it's been an interesting transition over the last few months. That's a lot. Like Finishing your residency, I know I mentioned this to you when we were talking before we started recording, but is I haven't done it, but I've watched enough scrubs and Grey's Anatomy to know that it seems very difficult. <laughs> Yep, you could say that. <laughs> it seems so challenging. And then to do it and to end it in a global pandemic and then to start a business the day after, like your own practice the day after. How did you do that? How did you, are you a superhuman lady? How did you do that? <laughs> this kind of practice is, that I've launched is something that I've been planning for a couple of years now. Um, I knew when I went back to school that this is what I wanted to do. So I've been pretty organized in my thoughts and how I wanted it to come together. Um, I have a practice partner who's helping me get started with this. So that has certainly made it easier. He's already been in practice and I just kind of opened a second location of what he's already doing. So that certainly helped. And then, you know, we've all just had to learn how to kind of roll with the punches the last few months of residency. It, our training wasn't what we thought it was going to be. And there's some good things about that and some bad things, obviously, about it. But it all kind of worked out in the end. And I'm just happy to be done now and be doing what I've always been wanting to do. So it's super exciting. I imagine it would be. Is it? I know for myself when you finish when you finish something that you've been working on, like something something that's intellectually and physically, emotionally ch- such a challenge, and you get to the end, like it's often not quite what you think. Like when you have that the last day feeling, like how was it finishing? It's a big momentous milestone, and for you, it wasn't like you finished high school and then went to medicine. This this is like a passion project in a way. Right. Yep. To get to the end, was it was it everything that you'd hoped for or was it different than you expected to go all that way and then finally have reached the end goal that you've been waiting for? I think I thought it was going to be something a little more monumental because this is, like you said, it's been an 11-year project. I started going back to school in 2009. On my last day, I had you know, what's called an exit interview where you go in and you talk to the program director and she asks you some questions about how training went and, you know, anything you would change or not change. And, and then I just got my diploma and I left and walked out and I just like, you look around and you're like walking out of the hospital, like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? Like life is totally different. Life is my own again. (laughs) So it was interesting. It's emotional. It's scary. It's like all different feelings all at once, you know? Still feeling all those things every day, but yeah, yeah, it's interesting for for just. I feel like when you when you do those big things and you do accomplish them at the end, for me, I have this habit of going, ah, oh, 
well, if I can do it, mustn't be that. <laughs> like, if I can do it, I can immediately diminish it in my mind. Like, it mustn't, maybe it's just anyone can. <laughs> I tell a lot of people that because I, you know, I definitely, when I was in high school, and that's the reason I didn't go full, like, and do med school the first time uh, was because I wasn't always as strong at math and physics and chemistry and that stuff. And then it was a different kind of determination when I chose to go back to school and I made it work because I was determined to figure it out. So I always tell people, if I can figure it out, any, anybody can. <laughs> you just have to want it. Can I ask, because I think that even though this isn't quite, you know, I have a tendency, everyone who's listening long term will know that tendency to go on little tangents that I find interesting. But for me and many people who, when I think of medicine, I literally think I can't because of physics, maths, chemistry. I'm not, that was a high school, primary school, uh, a massive, massive block for me. How, how do you manage? Like what, what, what helped you? Is it, is it just a fire in your belly that was like, I'm going to have to just figure it out? Or what helped you get through those walls intellectually? Maturity, I think was one of them. Uh, that determination, like you said, I, when I chose to go back, I wasn't quite sure I was going to go for med school. I was like, should I be a nurse practitioner? What, what do I want to do here? And it all depended for me on if I could take the chemistry class and pass it or not. So I started with Chem 101, literally, at, at a local community college here. Every night I sat down and I worked at it and I worked at it and I got some help with it. I got people to tutor me. And, you know, the first test I got a pretty decent grade. And I was like, wow, I can do this. And then I just kept going with it past that class. And then I enrolled in the next one that came to um, same thing with that one. And when I struggled, no doubt I had my struggles with it. I went to the teacher, I got extra help. I was just determined to make it work. And it was like one class led to the next. And once I started knocking out all those hard classes that scared me the first time, I realized I should, if I can do this and pass these, I'm going to go all the way with it because I'm not getting any younger. I might as well spend the rest of my life doing what I want to do. So I just decided to go and do it. And <laughs> it took three years just to take all the undergraduate classes again that I needed to get into school. And then after that. <laughs> wow. I am so. <laughs> English language has a, a, we need a word that's like proud of you. But I feel like proud takes some of the ownership, like t- takes it like I, I'm proud of you because it's really hard, but I want a different word that gives you all the credit, you know, that really makes it like, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's massive. Thanks. Were you working at the same time or were you just able to commit yourself to study the whole time? I was working. So I used to be a marketing director at an architecture firm. I graduated the first time from undergraduate uh, training with a bachelor's degree in business administration. <laughs> got a job in an architecture firm and uh, worked my way up to marketing director there. And then around 2008, 2009, this all parallels with my passion for nutrition and healthy lifestyle and animal rights and all that kind of stuff. That's when I decided to make the switch. And so while I was working at the office and then at night I would take those classes. And over time, I did start kind of dropping down my hours at work and went part-time. Um, but yeah, I I was working while I got all those classes done to get into yeah, school. Yeah, wow. Okay, I'm excited by that. Um, I literally was thinking, I don't know if you know, I'm sure you might, you probably do, Andrew Spudfit-Taylor, our Australian celebrity 
whole food plant-based guy who ate all the potatoes for a 365 days. Yes. <laughs> because he's just gone back to study medicine. Oh, wow. Just like this year, like this like a month ago or something. And I was thinking when you said you did it, I was thinking, oh, I should ask. So if you're listening, Andrew, this is what you did. <laughs> this, is, this is what Jamie did. It's really exciting. I'm so excited for him to do that because it's such a big thing to go, you know, he's, you know, we're both, I think he's just turned 40 as well, to go back and do something that's so massive but it would be such a reward, such, such a rewarding career at the end. And I know he loves so much helping people and loves focusing on, nutrition and lifestyle medicine, and then to be able to do that as a practitioner, it's just going to be so wonderful for him. And I think people like yourself and him who have came to this way of living and then and wanting to gift that back to the community and to, and to do your, the most you can to help others transition and heal and reverse their chronic illnesses, you know, we need more doctors like that, don't we? So I'm just... Absolutely. So excited for you to be out in the world doing the work that you're doing and excited for Andrew to spend the next however many years <laughs> doing that for himself. Yeah, thank you. It's it's a long road and it's hard work, but it's really worth it in the end. It's very rewarding. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I'm going to ask you more about that, but I'm going to press pause on that and go back to the beginning. So how did this journey begin for you as far as the health plant-based journey? And I really want you to kind of scroll back to when you first started to think something's not quite right for me and when those signposts started to first appear for you that made you led you on this journey sure I grew up in a family that was pretty typical American as far as how we ate fast food and all that kind of stuff um your pretty classic meals when I was 14 my mom and my brother and I went to a state fair in Minneapolis where my mom was living at the time. And we got to interact with the farm animals that were there at the fair. And that was probably the first time that I can ever recall having interacted with a majestic creature like a cow and being able to stand there with it in real life. And uh, I'll never forget that moment. And he, his name was Mac and he licked me on the cheek. Oh, bless his cotton sock. <laughs> that was when I made the connection right there in that moment. Like, what am I eating? And then I realized, like, every time I eat a hamburger or this or, you know, I'm eating a Mac. And that was when I made that connection. I was like, I turned to my mom and I was like, I am never, ever eating beef again. And I I decided at that time, at age 14, that I wasn't going to eat beef or pigs. (laughs) That was when I cut those things out. But then I thought the other things were still okay because they were just chickens and (laughs) (laughs) So once I got through college and that, like right after I got out of college was when I realized, like, I love all animals. Like, why am I eating chickens? I like turkeys. Like, So I decided to just cut out all meat when I was about 26. And my mom kind of paralleled with me, and so did my brother. Really? They all so did the same right thing? A- yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, that, that same kind of moment in the, in the state fair there, my mom was like, I'm not either. That's terrible. You know, we all made that connection. I love your mum instantly now. <laughs> I I her number one fan. Yeah. Then my brother pretty much did the same thing as far as I recall. And we all have kind of paralleled on the same path ever since then. Um, my brother's been a long time plant-based eater as well. My mom too. When I was 26, my mom read the book 
uh, the book Skinny Bitch in the Kitchen or whatever. <laughs> and she was like, she kept telling me I've got to read that book. Because there weren't that many books out yet back in that time, like 11, 12 years ago. And so I remember sitting outside at my house reading that book, and I decided that that was when I'm, I got to the chapter about dairy. And that was when I was done with dairy. Like, and I went inside and threw it all out. And that was when I became a vegan, essentially. And my mom did, too. <laughs> so <laughs> She's my mom, best. my brother, and I have all. Yeah, kind of. And my brother's been in the military. He did two trips overseas and managed to be um, as vegan as possible while he was over there. And so we've all, kind of all done it together. That is wonderful. So you didn't, you didn't really have health problems. You just had that call to compassion that like, oh, my gosh, yeah. I identify you as a sentient being that doesn't need to die from me. Oh, it's such a massive thing. And I, you know, I'm always so, I don't know, my heart always, I don't know what the feeling is, aches for families when they, for people when they do have that realization in that. Because for me, I was 31, 31 when I had that realization. And I'd grown up on a farm. And that's why I think because it was, they were just, they were just livestock, you know, and even though I loved them and I had baby sheep and I fed them and I battle fed them and I cuddled them, it was just so normal that they were, that they were things. And I never, no one ever spoke to me about it. And I was just like, I said to my dad, you can never kill my sheep. They, my pet ones that I'd named, you can never kill them. Every, everyone else, I just, I couldn't save them. I didn't even think to save them. I was just like, these ones are mine though. I've found, I've rescued these three sheep and these ones are my three sheep, but but uh, that no one was allowed to kill. But I never made the connection. I honestly never made the connection until I was 31. And so when people like yourself or young kids, like a friend of mine's son, he was four. Now he eats meat now, unfortunately, because these whole family around him aren't vegan and it was just very challenging at mealtimes and all those things. But he was four and he called me up crying, just saying, no one, did you know, did you know that the, uh, they kill the animals to make the sausages? And I was like, oh, baby, I did know. And he was crying, <laughs> we have to stop them. And I was just four years oh. old. It was just, and so I was really devastated when, like, they kind of just made it, he went, he went back. But because he did have that heart that was like I'm not doing this at four years old yep. hmm, but it's hard when you're whole you know he's not, he's not the one doing the shopping and everyone around him's doing the shopping and they're just conditioned to buy the foods that they buy in the grocery store yeah yeah but yeah I don't think any babies would want to eat meat if they knew what meat actually was I agree with you no so you made that connection but when did you realize what those eating animals was doing on a health perspective there wasn't a lot of information at that time 12 or so years ago about the connection between diet and health it just it wasn't starting to become so popular yet but once it was like one book would come out every so often and I just wanted to learn like more and more about it and I I did become involved with our local vegetarian and vegan organization here veg michigan with volunteer work and going to the annual veg fest and things like that. So there were clues that I was picking up about the link between what I thought was eating ethically and health. And I started kind of making that connection. Like this is also helping me be healthy. Well, how come nobody ever told me about that? How come doctors never tell anybody about that? Why are people in my family so sick 
and nobody told them that they could eat healthier and get healthier. And so I started to get really fascinated by that. And I started to read all the books and it almost became not an obsession, but something that made me feel compelled. And the more I read and the more involved I got in this, yeah, I read a, or I listened to one of your podcasts not too long ago. It, it seems like a lot of people have this same thing where like a fire gets lit under you and the whole world around you, almost like everything starts to fall into place, you know? And it was like everywhere I turned, I was meeting all these interesting people like Dr. Bernard, um, Dr. Joel Kahn, like in all of these very coincidental ways. And it was almost like people were pushing me towards this direction. And I started getting involved in things that like no regular business degree marketing person would get involved <laughs> in as far as like health promotion and community wellness and stuff like that. And the more I got involved in it, I found myself realizing like I don't want to do anything else but this. And I, I wanted to go, I wanted to be a doctor when I was a young kid. I knew when I was like four, but I struggled so much with the math and the chemistry and everything and I didn't do it. And then the older I got, the more I regretted it. And all this stuff just started swirling. And I, I realized I wasn't going to be satisfied the rest of my life until I went back and put myself in this field where I could use these tools to help people. Isn't it interesting how, like, we dismiss our little inner child so, so much, but often they're, they're so much more knowing than us, you know, for, for, you know, for me not the same, but singing was always a thing. I always wanted to be a singer. And now I'm 40 and I'm just like, I still just want to sing, uh, you know, wherever I can all the time. But, you know, your life just says you can't be a singer. Why would you be a singer? There's no jobs. There's no money. You know, like it's awkward. It'll be tiring, touring, you know. But like being a doctor is tiring. So you have all these stories that your old adult brain tells yourself, but your inner child's just going, but that's the thing that makes me happy. That's the thing that makes me happy. So just, please. so now I'm just making my room, my little singing studio that I just go in there. And the pan- the pandemic's made me go, okay, you you need to sing to release all the oh of the pandemic. Just go into my. So I'm not going on stage or anything, but I'm I'm just making more time to to sing because I stopped because you've gone to share houses and houses and relationships. Just, I'm not gonna be singing loudly in my share house. I'm not going to be singing loudly with my boyfriend or my husband. But now I'm like, Rinji, I'm just going to have to go in there and sing so I can let out some of this pandemic stress <laughs> <laughs> and release it. And That's I think wonderful. that lots of, when, lots of people like yourself have that that's what I want to be. And then your life kind of says, no, it's not for you. You can't be that. My dad was the same. He wanted to be a painter and his family like, there's no money in being an artist. So he was a farmer and there was no money in being a farmer. But, um, and then he was like 55 <laughs> and he started becoming a painter again. And he now has these beautiful works of art and he's, wow. he's painting and he makes money from them because they're so good because it's his, it's his thing, you know, that. He's so amazing at it, and you're just like, wow! He all that all that life lost. It wasn't lost. It wasn't lost because he he loved farming as well. But you know, now he's doing this thing that he can't stop doing. He can't stop painting, and people are buying them. And he's just living this next new amazing life that his little little Graham was so keen to do, but was silenced, was pushed away from doing it. So I'm so glad to see people like yourself and my dad and other people who and Andrew Taylor, coming back to those things that felt like they were out of your reach or impossible and then actually doing them and getting that, like, 
you know, that satisfaction of achieving that thing you've wanted since you were a kid? Everything about your perspective on life and what's important and, you know, everything changes when you are on the path that you feel like you're supposed to be on. And that really happened to me. You know, it's the coolest thing. Yes. And it's, it's hard for people, I think, when you're scared, when you're scared of following your dreams. If you're listening and you're scared, I get it. And I'm sure Jamie gets it. But just reaching out like Jamie did, just keeping yourself surrounded by the people who are doing the thing that you want to do. Because the more you spend time with the people who are doing the thing that you want to do, the more they seem normal and it seems possible. I think that for me has been the more I hang out with people who host podcasts or who do the things that I do that I love doing, the more it doesn't feel like it's something for other people and not me. It feels like, oh, these people are ordinary people that have families and worries and problems and struggles and they're doing it. So why also can't I do it? That's a true. That's absolutely right. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So you were hanging out with Dr. Neil Barn and you're getting more and more passionate and then you wanted to learn more. So what was the thing that you were like, oh my gosh, how come I didn't know that or no one told me that? What was, what was the big, was, was there a big, like, or was it just an accumulation of many, many, many things that you were like, oh my gosh, I didn't, I didn't know that. I think it's just been kind of a culmination of witnessing a lot of unhealthiness around me with loved ones and, uh, and coming to the realization through learning by Dr. Barnard and that kind of example that you don't have to have high blood pressure. You don't have to have uh, always type 2 diabetes. You don't have to have all of these chronic conditions that people are suffering with all around us. And there's so many people in the world that are transforming their lives and their health just by making these diet changes. And it was almost like hidden information for so long especially back then. And then realizing, I felt like I had uncovered like a buried treasure. I started to come across all this information because it's just not shared, um, at least back then. And it's been amazing over the last decade to see just how it's exploded. That information is literally everywhere now. And I love that. If we could just get it to be more in the medical <laughs> profession, that's the next goal. <laughs> I know. It seems like it's everywhere. It's interesting because for you and I, it seems like it's everywhere now but then you just step outside of our echo chamber and you're like oh no people still don't know this <laughs> you know doctors and people still don't know this <laughs> I'm always stunned still when people are like oh but such and such that I should just you know listen to the medical medium and I'm like like I'm sure he's fine but there's all this real information from real <laughs> from not just people who are tuning into the spirits to tell them about what to eat, like the medical medium. People, there's real bodies of scientific literature and evidence telling you to eat a whole food plant-based diet and not just celery juice. You know, I'm not saying that there's not maybe merit in that, but like there's so many people still that come to me and say, oh, but, you know, the medical medium's really where it's at. And I'm like, the medical medium's just some guy who tunes into... <laughs> the astral planes <laughs> to get his information <laughs> and has really good marketing and branding. <laughs> Dr. Neil Barnard has been literally <laughs> practicing medicine and doing the research with Dr. Dean Ornish and 
Dr. Clapper and Dr. Gregor and Dr. All these real people doing this real research. And it still feels like it's so, when I t- speak about them, it's still on the fringe and unheard of. But people know the medical medium straight away. <laughs> but they don't know these real amazing doctors straight away. Obviously, people who are listening to this podcast, I'm assuming that you all do. But it's, I'm always astounded when I step outside of my echo chamber and realise that it's still not, it's not as everywhere as what it seems like it is to me. Is that the, is that the case for you too? I think especially for me because I, I just finished so many years of training in an environment where it's not discussed. And the frustrating thing for me this whole time has been there are guidelines that we follow as primary care practitioners and even specialists, but guidelines always recommend lifestyle changes as the first line intervention for chronic conditions like high blood pressure and obesity and type 2 diabetes and so many other things. But we're never given the tools that we need as practitioners to counsel our patients on that. And so this whole time I've been building those tools myself on my own. Mm. Um, I didn't get any of that training in medical school. I got about four hours of nutrition training in medical school. And what was the focus of that training? A lot of it was the biochemistry of nutrition. So how, you know, the the Krebs cycle and how do different uh, macronutrients break down into the body and how does glucose get made and stored and, you know, that's, the medical profession's idea of what nutrition education is. And that's not, like the Krebs cycle is not helpful when somebody has high blood pressure. I don't know what the Krebs cycle <laughs> is. <laughs> it's just, it's this long, complex pathway of, of energy production. And it's it's useless when you're sitting there with somebody who's not feeling well and they're on a million medications. And that's not the important stuff. And that is still where we're stuck in medicine. You know, it's just... There's still a long way to go. Why do you think that that is? Resources? Is it time? Is it lack of value? If, if, if they're mentioning that their lifestyle interventions is the first point of call, you would think that they would give you as training doctors the tools to help support people to implement those lifestyle changes or at least point them in the right direction. But it sounds like they don't. So what, why do you think that is? I think a big part of it is that the body of knowledge that they use to train us is so, it's fluid in that it, it fluctuates with new research that comes out. But for some reason, there's this reluctance to look into nutrition and at all of the new research that is coming out all the time about that topic. There is some kind of wall <laughs> that's preventing medicine from kind of going and digging into that research and figuring out ways to use it. And I think those who train us, it's just, it's not used in the typical primary care setting. Um, Part of that is because the way that our system is doesn't allow us to spend the time with our patients counseling on those things. So we tend to look for fast things, fast ways to get patients in and out of the door. And that's a lot of times numbers management, treating laboratory results rather than sitting there and talking to people about their lifestyles. We've not been trained to go that route. We're always trained to treat the numbers with medicine. And that's that's where we are going wrong. <laughs> uh, I wonder if it's also because there is so and I don't I don't at all think it's an accident, there is such not that I'm a big tin hat wearing conspiracy theorist. That sounds a bit conspiracy theorist. <laughs> 
Not that I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a bit in the middle. I like to listen to it all and then just kind of sit on the sit in the sane lane, the lane that keeps me the most sane when it comes to buying into conspiracy theories. I do think with nutrition, it's so it's such a tangle. Now, even my closest friends who know, and one of them, one of them recently called me a born old high school friends said, you know, you're kind of a born again Christian when it comes to veganism. <laughs> like you're so over the top you know, about it. I said, look, I couldn't feel my legs. So when you find something that makes you feel your legs and not only that gives you a whole new life and then you realize that other people's families don't need to suffer and feel horrific like I felt. Of course, I've become, it's not like I'm a believing in, like, not that I'm taking away people who believe in Christian who are Christians but it's not like I'm just believing in a book and a and a, and a story and a and a tale and a feeling I'm really I've had really visible results from this way of eating so of, of course I would be so passionate because now I know that other people don't need to, need to suffer like I did but I mean People still come to me, my friends and people, and they know I have you know hundred now one hundred and fifty five episodes of this podcast with people reversing their chronic disease. It's my doctors and people like yourself, experts talking about it. They still say, oh, you know, such and such. What about paleo? What about this? What about that? What about medical media? What about just salary? What about just a donut only diet? <laughs> you know, what if, what about <laughs> whatever? And I'm always just like, why you know what I'm going to say? <laughs> like, surely. But they're confused because today they hear this, tomorrow they hear that, the next Facebook message they get sent is a link to Garcinia Cambogia, you know, or Weight Watchers or something. And it's so confusing. And I wonder if that also plays a role because people are so confused. What do they choose when everyone's saying, you know, carnivore diet now is all the rage. Joe Rogan, carnivore, you know, and this person's a carnivore and he's doing amazing and he's ripped and strong and never pooping, I imagine, but <laughs> they're getting great results and their friends are doing carnivore and they're reversing all their diseases. I feel like it's such a... There's so much noise in nutrition that as an if I was a if I was an institution, I'd be like, there's too much even to pick from. Every student's gonna have had their own experience with keto or paleo or whole food plant based, and they're all going to be like, No, that way is not the way, my way is the way. It would be very challenging to create a a course or a program or a a you know, a teaching I can't even think of the words for what you academic a curriculum a curriculum. Mm -hmm. It would be hard to create a curriculum when there's so many people like the you know animal agricultural industry, the dietetics association. It's all these different associations saying my way is the way and trying to yell loud loudest that their way is the actual truth. It would be tricky. I think that's the other part of it is medicine likes certainty, and based on very rigorous types of scientific evidence and research and you know it's there's a lot of it there now when it comes to whole food plant-based nutrition but it's just there's so much gray areas with everything and I think medicine doesn't know how to embody that and turn it into something that can be like standardized and like everything else in medicine uh, it's it's more of an art using nutrition to help people get well is more of an art than these rigorous guidelines that they put out for us to follow. And so it doesn't match, you know? Yeah. 
that's another part of the challenge. Yes. So we spoke about your practice, your new practice that you've set up before we pressed record. And I am in Australia here and we don't, I don't know many places like what you're talking about here. We have Medicare here, so it's a bit different. You can, we do have private health insurance as well, but we have a different setup with healthcare. But our, but our appointments are still, you know, 15 minutes is your standard. And then you have to book a double, which is more expensive if you want a longer consult um, where you might talk about nutrition in that consult, but that's, you know, up to $100 or, you know, with your doctor. But you're saying that your practice, and I love this model because I think it, for me, I would feel like I could trust you more than I could trust my GP who, who may get spruiked by drug companies and all those things and have, you know, to have to give me advice based on the people who are coming into his office and giving him notepads and pens and things to tell him that their drugs are the best drugs. I really loved the sound of your model. So can you can you describe what your business model kind of is now? Mm-hmm. It's called direct primary care. And it's this new emerging innovative model for primary care medicine that's kind of, ex- I would say it's exploding in the country here. Um, there's probably about a thousand practices now throughout the country and there's new ones opening every week. People, family doctors and internists are, and even pediatricians as well are just like everybody's leaving the healthcare system and moving to this type of medicine uh, because they see so much benefit in it for the patient and for themselves as well. So I knew this is what I wanted to do because you cannot incorporate nutrition education in the typical system. So the way it works is we don't, we're not connected with the healthcare system or insurance or anything. Patients, we work directly for the patient. The patient pays us a small monthly fee um, ranging from $49 to $69 a month, and then it goes up to $89 based on age brackets. Kids are 10, and uh, they pay us monthly. And in return for that, they have access to uh, my cell phone number, so people are welcome to text me email me, call me if they need something. I do telemedicine for them. They can come into the office. Everybody gets at least an hour with me. Um, up to two, I've had up to two-hour appointments with patients, depending on what their needs are. Um, we do all your typical primary care services. The important thing is healthcare is so unaffordable here in the States, and even with insurance, people are paying out of pocket all the time for high-deductible insurance plans. And so for us, a full year of care plus any incidentals that they might need in the year is still less than what their deductible would have been. So we work really hard to find affordable solutions for people to get good primary care. And then the extra bonus with me is that I work really hard to educate my patients about staying healthy with nutrition and that kind of thing. This is fabulous because especially with like $10 a month for kids and some kids need a lot more support. So $120 for the year when insurance would have, I imagine, been so much more than that for for you know for your children and then going up. Like I love that because I think that there's so many families who are saying, oh, you know, I, especially when you're teaching them how to like feed their kids and give their kids, a, keep, the, keep their kids' bodies healthy from the inside out, you know, and preventing disease as they go, you're literally educating and then, and then saving them money because they will need less and less time with you, which is fantastic. Sure. Part of the, the overall goal with this is we, we want to make it like how medicine used to be, where the doctor would take care of the whole family 
from the grandparents all the way down to the babies. And so we want kids to be, we want kids to join too. I, I, you know, I respect pediatricians and they're awesome and, but I love taking care of kids. Um, I love taking care of the whole family. So we make it affordable for kids to join as well so that we can try to accomplish that. I think that's so important. And I know from myself and many of the guests on the show, like our, our illnesses began when we were in childhood. We didn't, that we, they weren't, we weren't diagnosed in childhood, but you know, I, my obesity and constipation and migraines started in childhood. And, you know, to have a family practitioner who I, my, my parents could see who would educate them on nutrition because most parents aren't educated on nutrition. Most, you know, most, they're doing their best. They love their kids. But if you had a practitioner who would say, this, not just you should eat more fiber, but this is what fiber is. And this is where you find fiber. Eating more fiber is all well and telling parents to do that. If they don't know what fiber is and they just trust that the cereal box says fiber on it and the bread bag says fiber on it, it isn't, it isn't doing the thing that the doctor's wanting them to do when they say eat more fiber. And I think having a practitioner like yourself that can actually unpack what fiber is and what foods contain fiber can, oh my gosh, it's just a incredible gift for families and parents who are wanting to do the best but don't know where to begin. Yep. And I'm trying to find unique ways in my practice to make it interesting and fun for adults and for kids. I'm working on creating like a virtual grocery store tour where I take people through like one of our local grocery stores and kind of show them how I shop and, you know, how to shop on a budget, not break the bank when you go, uh, quick, easy meals, how to do meal prep, like all of that stuff in the same kind of presentation. I have a TV in my office where I can walk through that with patients. I have like coloring books from PCRM for the kids and I try to walk through those things with kids and so there's all different ways you can do it. You just have to be in an environment that enables you to work that way with your patient. Absolutely, absolutely. Ah, I'm so glad. So you're saying that there's many of these clinics, like thousands of these clinics, thousand, thousands? Did you say thousands or thousands? There's a, a little over a thousand. A little over a thousand in your country now. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Uh, so with your patients, what's been, because now you're practicing, you've been practicing now for, what is that? Nearly two months? Six weeks. Six weeks. Oh, <laughs> six weeks. How has it been for you to be doing the thing that you wanted to do your way rather than being, you know, when you're on placement or, you know, for me on teaching rounds or I did social work and teaching, teaching degrees and it's vastly different being a social worker or a teacher on placement that, or, you know, than it is when, you're, when it's you alone autonomous as a social worker or a teacher. So as a doctor how does it feel being able to actually be doing six weeks of doing it your way? It has a variety of emotions, I would say. It's, it's extremely rewarding. That's probably the most important part for me is the type of patients that I'm getting. Are, I'm finding that a lot of patients are uh, frustrated with the way that they've experienced medicine so far. So they've almost they're coming to me as an experiment to see if they can find a solution to what's really been going on with them for so long that doctors are kind of brushing them off because they don't have time to look into it. So I've had some people come to me with some pretty complex situations. And fortunately, because I can spend the time listening and digging into the books and reading and researching the studies, and you know, I've been able to figure out some stuff for people that have 
have already been able to make a bit of a difference in their lives, which I just think that's the coolest thing. And having that relationship with them and being able to figure that out, that trust that we're building with each other, that is so rewarding for me. I absolutely love it. And then I'm finding that I'm providing a service because we have a lot of people in the area that I work that don't have health insurance uh, and they don't have anywhere else to go that's not totally unaffordable, like having to go to an urgent care and pay hundreds of dollars for something that might, it's something that's so easy for me to help them with. So I'm getting a lot of people that don't have health insurance that are joining my practice and now they have access to good, affordable health care that they didn't have otherwise. I didn't expect that going into this, but that has been the other thing that's been super rewarding. Yes. I would find that so rewarding because these people, they deserve to be able to feel well. But if you can't afford private health insurance, and for many families here in Australia as well, you know, the, health, the difference is it's still a stark difference between people who can afford good health care or can afford for us you know, additional supports like dietitians or to see a, you know, see a dentist even. You know, like it's just night and day and you don't feel you know that those people who can't afford good health care it's it impacts on mental health on their you know on their even on their self-esteem when you can't afford to get care when you need it it's so crushing emotionally and mentally because you especially when you when you're a parent as well and you can't afford to get your kids care that they need it's just devastating so it's such a such an important service that you're offering yep i've had people tend to kind of ball up and they they develop all these issues and concerns and then they keep them inside and just worry about it and worry about it and they don't have anywhere to turn to have it addressed and so it's almost like I've had a few experiences with people that have come in and we share these things and talk about them and I help them either ease their concerns or we look into it and they just cry because finally they have an opportunity to have those things addressed and so that has been one of the coolest things about this whole thing yeah 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 so what kind of conditions are you typically treating or is it all different kinds of conditions that are coming in through your door i can just in the six weeks that i've been open i've had some autoimmune thyroid issues that have been going on for years that has not been diagnosed until me that has been very interesting i've had some musculoskeletal issues Type 2 diabetes, of course, high blood pressure, some mental health concerns, uh, a whole mix of different things. And and some interesting things, too, that people just, like I have a patient that just wants to set herself up to feel better in the colder winter months. And she's not sure how to do that. And she knows there's a pattern there, but she doesn't know why. And so we've been working on optimizing some of her nutrient levels and things like that. Um, to try and set herself up for a better winter. And so it's just a whole interesting mix. You never know what's going to come in. Yeah, it sounds fascinating. I would find that really interesting knowing that as someone who I like diversity in my job, it'd be really a satisfying job to have where you're having all different conditions all the time and all different ways of problem solving for these people. And because you know so much about nutrition and all those kind of things, like knowing so many different ways that you can help a person there's so many different tools you have in your toolkit when you're working in the way you do with an hour session as well. It's difficult for me too because I didn't get that training. I'm not, I don't have a certification in any type of training um, except medicine. And, and so I'm a self-taught nutrition, you know, I'm no expert at it. I don't know everything there is to know about 
uh, plant-based nutrition other than my own experiences and the education that I've pursued. And so I'm not a functional medicine practitioner or homeopathic or anything like that, but I, I'm definitely willing to hear the patient out, spend the time with them and hit the books. And, you know, a lot of these people I've spent hours reading and researching and trying to figure out what's going on with them. And that's been challenging, but it's been an interesting learning curve too. I feel like I'm learning more now <laughs> for useful things for people than I was before. Oh, wow. Okay. So where can people go to your clinic if they're, if they're where, where are you? I know you're based in Michigan, but like, are you, what's the, is there a website? Is there a booking system online that they can go to if they live in your area and they're listening? Or do you have a Facebook page or where can they find you? Yep. Our practice is called Plum Health DPC as in direct primary care. The main office is located right downtown in Detroit um, and here in Michigan. And then um, my office is the second new location and I'm located in Farmington Hills, about 20 minutes north of Detroit in the suburbs here. Um, Our website is www.plumhealthdpc.com. We share a lot of information there about healthcare and finding affordable solutions for healthcare and that kind of stuff on that site. And then um, people can always connect with me on Instagram. It's just my name, Jamie, with an underscore Plum Health DPC is my name. Um, I I post things there about what I'm working on at the clinic and people can connect with me there. Um, If people are interested in signing up, they can just connect with me on any of those platforms or go to our website. There's links to sign up. And then feel free to contact me if there's questions. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful talking with you. I could talk to you all day because I like talking about these kind of things. <laughs> and I'm in a pandemic, so I've got nothing better to do. <laughs> I've got my kids I have to parent, but <laughs> no homeschool today. But no, it's been a joy. And I really love hearing people. And I hope that people listening, one of the things I really love about your story is that it's really inspirational to me to think about pivoting your career so drastically and following your, 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 your big, big dream that may seem for many people to be un, un, impossible or you know, too hard or whatever, especially when you struggle with mass chemistry. Like those things for me were such a struggle. And like now my son's in grade three and I'm teaching him maths um, because I'm homeschooling. And he's like, yesterday he said, mum, you're really good at English. (laughs) You're not really good at maths, are you? And I went, no, I think I, I think I stopped listening in grade three. So (laughs) that's why I'm not very good at it. But I mean, when you have that label that you've kind of given yourself, the story that you've told yourself your whole life that that's the thing I can't do. But really, we just haven't found the right teachers. I really think that many of the things that we think we can't do are just that we haven't found the teacher that's for us because everyone learns differently or the motivation, internal motivation like you had to go after this thing that you really wanted to go after. I think when, once you find the right teacher and you find the way to motivate yourself, whether it's through wanting to really help people or wanting to get that job for the pay rise or wanting to, for whatever reason, to motivate yourself, I think that I think that too many people think that they can't because they, ha- just, they just haven't found the right teacher and they've decided that they're bad at maths or X or whatever it is. So I really like that you had that experience of thinking I'm bad at that, but then pushed and pushed and pushed out of your comfort zone and discovered that you could figure it out if you wanted it bad enough. Yep. 
this whole thing has been a push out of my comfort zone. <laughs> but it, you know, it goes back to that sort of intrinsic fire that we were talking about earlier. And once you figure out what your path is and what kind of what your purpose is, that intrinsic motivation, it, it's kind of incredible what you can accomplish. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. So seeing as this is kind of a different episode than normal, it's fine. I like them all to be different. They're all different. I normally ask this question, what's your top three tips for adopting a whole food plant-based diet? But I might ask you a different top three tips. What would be your top three tips for going after something that you think is really hard but you want to accomplish? I would say, number one, surround yourself with the people that can motivate you and inspire you and teach you, you know, because they've been in your shoes and they've already done it, to make that happen. There was a podcast that you were on that I listened to recently where you said something about find a tribe, find a a tribe that can help you accomplish your goals. And like, it, it goes along with that. Like make yourself a tribe that can help get you there. I think that's really important. And number two, I would say never like, just don't like start educating yourself um, in every way that you can. That's, that's kind of how I did this. I almost became like, I made myself become an expert about how to get into medical school and, you know, I, I talked to everybody I could think of. I, I drove out to Michigan State University numerous times and, you know, asking questions and trying to figure out how to get accepted and what did I need to do and how could I do it better to make a great application. And, you know, um, you really have to kind of like immerse yourself in it if you want to like something that is as big a goal as this. <laughs> and so that would be another thing. Third thing. I would not have been able to get to the place where I'm at if I didn't use like the little cool things that have happened along the way, like these serendipity moments where, I, you know, like the unexpected happened or somebody cool popped into my life. Like I fed off that and every little thing that happened was like a little boost of energy and motivation for me. And I kind of trained myself to find like self motivation and you know, satisfaction in what I was doing, even though it was a miserable time. Like school is miserable. All the math and all that stuff is like so hard to sit there and learn it all the time. But I was always pushing and finding ways to get those moments that would make, that would like create those moments for me where I got that satisfaction, you know? So you have to stay connected with it. Even when the, like, the going gets tough and you're stuck in something that you don't want to be doing, you still have to stay connected to what your overall goal is and just don't forget like what you're trying to achieve because it's easy to get lost in it when you're stuck in the middle of it. So focusing on that end game, the end goal. Yeah. I found little things that helped me with that was like putting my assignments, <laughs> all my assignments. I had them printed and put in two places. I don't know if it's a bit OCD. It is. I think it is. But <laughs> I had them printed, like all the assignments for the for the semester, you know, for the semester. I'd have them printed in the due dates. I'd have them printed in my di- like my school di- university diary, and I'd have them printed on my wall. <laughs> and I had rainbow highlighters <laughs> that I and, and a pen, <laughs> and I would literally have to ticking them and crossing them made me feel more like. <gasps> 
and watching it get more crossed off, vis- a visual thing, seeing it getting the degree going away, like crossing it off in a different colour highlighter and putting a big tick beside it in two places was such a like a like a, like a drug for me. <laughs> like, oh my god, I get to tick the diary, I get to tick the wall today, I get to tick that thing off. Like, little things like that seem silly, but I found them so motivating to make a little, like a pink highlighter or a purple, make it really bright and colourful and make it in two places. And when I got to tick those those suckers off, that I felt like a million, it was just a small little thing, but it made me, and then when you're ticking off that last one for your whole degree, oh my gosh, it's like the best moment of highlighting use you've ever had, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've been like that too. I had an app on my phone where I had like this many days, hours, minutes, seconds <laughs> left until the next big yeah. thing. So I was always the one that everybody would be like, how many more days do we have left? And I'd be like, 764 <laughs> days, 34 hours. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody knew me as the one that had the countdown always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes so. do whatever works for you. And that was just my little thing. But, I mean, the countdown clock sounds amazing. I just feel like little victories, like when, when there's a visual victory for me or a thing, I found that I, I would thrive off that. I'd be like, okay, well, look, the, the cal- I mean, this sucks. This assignment I'm in sucks. But I get to highlight that in six days. <laughs> I get to cross it up (laughs) and make it worthwhile with a little victory highlight. Thank you so much. I really think that you're going to inspire many people today who are listening and thinking, oh, I have a big thing that I want to accomplish but that I'm putting off because I think it's too much for me. It's not too much for you. You just have to find number one tip from Jamie. Surround yourself with the people who've already done it. And if you can't find them because we're in a pandemic, online is where you're going to have to find them right now but they are online. So follow them, follow them on social media, watch what they're doing, watch what they're posting, watch what they're putting out into the world. Even if you can't physically see them now and connect with them now, send them an email or a message, like their comments, like their posts, and then say, hey, can I pick your brain about this? You'll be surprised. Many, many people who you think why would they want to talk to you because you're a creep on Facebook? Actually, don't mind talking to you if you just reach out and say, I have this big goal. Could you put me in the right direction? Could you chat with me on the phone? Could you, you know, like you'll be surprised. Don't rule out that maybe like 10 people will say no, but one person will say yes. Maybe I've, I've only ever had people say no to me for that kind of thing, maybe twice. And I'm constantly asking people to come on this show. <laughs> I have the same experience. People reach out to me a lot asking, like, how are you doing this? Can you show me? And I am so happy to tell people, like, how to get on the same path or help achieve your own dreams and this and that. So You'll be so surprised. And, uh, yeah, same with messaging me or messaging Jamie. Like, we both want to help. People want to help more than – and that's that's comforting in a pandemic and in a global political climate that we're in, just as a last ending aside note – I think we all need to remember when we're in these moments that people intrinsically most often, more often than not, want to help. Yep. So find the helpers and let them help you in the road to your improving your health or following your dreams. Thank you so much, Jamie. It was so lovely chatting with you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Corinne. It was great to meet you and to chat with you tonight. 
Thank you so much, Jamie, for coming on the show. Absolutely loved speaking with you, and I'm so glad that you're out in the world doing the work that you're doing. Good luck with it all. I'm sure it's going to continue to be such a rewarding thing, helping people to heal from the inside out with the assistance of a whole food plant-based diet. Thank you all so much for listening and tuning in and messaging me, especially people who checked in when this podcast was AWOL for a little while. I really loved hearing from you all. And I'm sorry that I just kind of took it down without without giving any notice. Yeah, I, was, I really appreciate hearing from you. So if you ever think, should I message Corinne? You should. I love hearing from you. So <laughs> message me. If you have any questions or if you just want to have a chat, I always enjoy hearing from you and what you enjoyed about the episodes or any anything at all, any questions that you have, I'm happy to reply. I've, I'm still in lockdown stage four here in Melbourne, so <laughs> I'm only allowed to go 5Ks around my house. So any anything exciting that comes into my phone is always, always well received. Okay, have a good week. I'll see you next week when I'll be interviewing Kevin Waters for the show to talk about his incredible weight loss. All right, bye. Bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier day